Sounds like the uh, foyer's gotten a little quiet and it's getting a little loud in here, so we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, can everyone hear okay in the back? Good. Okay, uh, so welcome uh, back to our study of the Psalms. This is a class called Tune Our Hearts that Brad Morrow and I are teaching. Uh, so a few things uh, that I learned from last week um, is that a lot of you guys already have a very special and personal connection to the Psalms, which is amazing, and is teaching me a lot just in one week. So I'm looking forward to getting to dig deeper there throughout this class. Um, also, I learned that not to put my coffee on this little shelf under here, because as soon as class was over, I, I tipped it over to put it back, and whoever cleans the carpet, I'm sorry. So this is water now. Um, also, you know, I... Uh, the Psalms we read last week, I'd read them a few times, and then we read them out loud as a community, and people gave comments on things that I didn't pick up at all. And they meant things differently uh, to you than they did to me. And so that's a, I think that's a really important lesson of the Psalms, is there's a different or new message in each Psalm, depending on your stage of life, uh, depending on when you read it. And so it's kind of important to keep, keep reading them. Keep uh, going back to them uh, and say them out loud. Talk to people about them. You'll definitely find something different each time. Um, we also ran out of time last week, so I, I set, my, set my alarm to give me a five-minute warning. And we're only going to do two psalms today instead of trying to get through three because uh, the conversation was fantastic. Uh, so I want to make sure we have more time for those. Um, this is the class schedule. We're on week two now, June 10th. That's me uh, doing part one. Uh, Brad will be here doing part two in two weeks. So we're doing, for those of you that weren't here last week, we're doing this class. We kind of broke it up throughout the summer, do three blocks, or blocks of classes. So we've got four of them. That way we can kind of break up uh, the monotony of, of going through Psalms line by line. I love doing that. Brad's going to give us a whole different perspective. He's going to pull things in from the history of the Psalms and the Hebrew culture uh, as they relate to Jesus, as they relate to Paul, and the modern church as well. So it'll give, it'll kind of shake things up as we go through the class. Uh, so that's the schedule. We've also got a loose reading plan. Uh, we've got 70 days in this class, so we're trying to get through all 150 psalms uh, individually. We're, we certainly won't do it in the class. Uh, so this is just a chance for you to dig into them if you haven't before, or to do it again if you have. So th this next week, I uh, encourage you to read 15 through 28. Uh, no worries if you didn't do the first week of 1 through 14. Uh, they, they don't have to be read in order. It's kind of like reading a songbook. You can just kind of pick one and spend some time on it. So you certainly don't have to follow our plan, but it's basically two per day or three per day. We'll have to do three in a day every now and then. Um, but, you know, maybe one in the morning, one in the evening, some time to ruminate on each one, I think, is really important. Um, also, any feedback from this last week, uh, if you did do the reading plan, was there a psalm that, that spoke to you that you, you'd want to share about? Anyone? Certainly don't have to. Did everyone forget about the reading plan? Come on, guys. It was the only assignment. Um, I'd, I'd encourage you to find someone to discuss these with. Uh, use your small group as a venue to talk about the Psalms if you haven't already, uh, if you're still meeting for the summer. 
uh, it's great to talk about these in smaller groups. It's kind of hard to do it in this setting. Um, Or take someone out to lunch, coffee. I was kind of thinking of a way to do that. And especially assuming that most people aren't following the reading plan, and maybe you are, you could go up to them and say, man, Psalm 8 really, really got me in the feels this week. How about you? And you could reply, having not read it, oh yeah, so many emotions in that one. It was crazy. Would you like to get coffee in two days to talk about it? Now you've given yourself two days to read Psalm 8, try to figure out what emotion they might have been feeling, and then you could talk to them about it. Um, so try that this week. Um, Psalms is something that is, is, I don't think, meant to be kept to yourself. Um, there's powerful messages for you personally, uh, but as a community, we, uh, this whole idea of tuning our hearts, right? It's, it's, not about, uh, it's not just about us individually, it's about us as a community as well. So how are we reading the Psalms? Um, I picked up this book, I introduced it last week. It's just a translation of the Psalms with a commentary by Robert Alter. Uh, I really enjoy it because, for me, it's kind of hard to read the Psalms cold. Just read the words uh, without understanding a lot of the, the background and what some of those words even mean or why it was translated that way. Uh, one thing I want to make sure we do in this class is compare and contrast different translations uh, because each one kind of has uh, an objective. Alter, in particular, is trying to remain true to the Hebrew poetry of the Psalms, whereas, say, uh, the voice is really interested in uh, presenting them almost as a play. Um, the, the, the Psalms are about communicating human emotion, and that's really difficult to do in written form, and so that's why I like picking up two different copies, if I can, to just compare and contrast and see what words sp- spoke to each translator individually. Um, let's see. Another thing we'll be doing, and hopefully you guys all got handouts. I printed a few more this time. Um, if you, does everyone have a handout or have someone next to them they can share with? Okay. So I want to make sure that in this class, at least, that we, we read the Psalms in their entirety. So I printed out two that we'll dig into today, one quite a bit longer than the other. And something to... to note, and we touched on it last week, is, is the Psalms, um, you know, why, why, why do the Psalms tune our hearts? Well, it kind of gives us permission to be real with God, and it kind of gives us a script on how to be real with God. Not all of these have happy endings. Um, it is just a snapshot of raw human emotion, which sometimes that's all we have, and it's nice to, to have some words given to your emotions. Uh, there's a lot of songs I like to listen to simply for that reason. It's not a song that's drawing me out of whatever I'm in. It's just representing where I'm at. And it's kind of nice to have someone else say that and me not have to. So the Psalms are people talking to God uh, pretty directly. Uh, last week was pretty light, just to make sure everyone came back. It started out pretty quiet this morning, so I was kind of worried, but it filled up. Um, so today... We're going to be getting pretty real. Um, I don't want to say emotional. Hopefully we're not all crying by the end of this. But I I learned a new phrase for emotional that I like. So instead of, Brad, you'll like this too. Instead of us not being emotional, we are psychologically dynamic. (laughs) I like that one. So that's what these psalms are. These are psychologically dynamic 
um, the Psalms of Lament. So just uh, kind of a warning, you know, the Psalms don't necessarily teach us the facts of the nature of God. It's more about how people have perceived God. So I want to make sure that we're not like using these as basis for theology. Sometimes this is just people crying out in anguish and applying traits to God that may or may not be accurate. So just keep that in mind um, as we read these things. And another theme in these two, and you'll see in a lot of Psalms, is that the psalmists seem to think that God is absent from their lives, from them. That's not necessarily the case. Um, so it's just something to keep in mind. That's kind of a common thing. God, where are you? You're absent from me. You've, you've cast us away. Well, maybe God's not actually absent. So what is lament? Uh, it's a Bible word we don't really use every day. So a lament is just a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. All right, so crying out in, in pain. Uh, penitential, that's another Bible word associated with these types of psalms. Penitential is showing sorrow or regret for having done something wrong. So contrast those two. Lament, you're just feeling bad. Penitential, you're feeling bad because of something you've done. So the first one's more circumstantial. Penitential is more about your actions. So why are there lament psalms? Why aren't all the songs in our songbook happy? Why aren't all the psalms happy? Uh, well, any of you that have are, are psychologists or therapists or something, you know that oftentimes you're just trying to provide a structure for the crisis or the hurt or the grief or the despair. You're not necessarily trying to say your actions are irrational. You now need to respond this way. So these psalms are really just providing that structure. And uh, <laughs> I didn't think I was psychologically dynamic, but it turns out today I might be. These don't follow the script of of what we might like to see in rescue of God, I'm crying out, and this is how you have acted. We we don't see those today in these psalms, so they're kind of they're kind of hard to read. Um, but just recognize that they're not necessarily trying to change your response. They're more trying to give words to where you're at. Um, and like I said, psalms will mean different things to you at different stages of life different seasons, um, not necessarily based on age, just on your circumstances. Um, So some of these topics may have no impact on you whatsoever because you may not have found yourself here. I'm sure you'll pick something up in the psalm. Um, But others, it might be kind of hard to to read some of these things. So I gave you warning. You can hang out in the foyer if you want. Now, some of them do have rescue elements, um, and you'll you'll see those uh, as you're following along the reading, but it was really cool to, to hear about. So VBS was this last week, Vacation Bible School with the kids. Any of you that helped out with that, thank you. My boys had a fantastic time. Um, and I saw this little note on the podium here, This someone's script. I decided not to follow it for class, but it was this little light, wrapped up, tied up, welcome Bible point, never let me go, do a skit, do a Bible buddy, and then Lighthouse song, I guess. There was a lot of dancing. My boys were doing the dances when they came home. But the last one is When You Struggle. 
And that was the whole theme of VBS was when you feel this, when you're alone, Jesus rescues. The theme was shipwreck and Jesus rescues. So these were their points each day, five days. I think I got these. Maybe it was when I'm lonely. But anyway, when I'm alone, Jesus rescues. When I worry, Jesus rescues. When I struggle, Jesus rescues. When I do wrong, Jesus rescues. When I'm powerless, Jesus rescues. Um, That's a theme common in the Psalms. When I'm all these things, God rescues. So two that we're going to look at that that are kind of um, summarize the Psalms that we're looking at today. When I'm alone, God rescues. When I'm powerless, God rescues. So we're going to read 44. And this was a long one, so I only printed out Robert Alter's translation. Uh, We'll read that one. Would anyone be willing to volunteer to read that one? Maybe anyone with like a a stage uh, acting degree, something like that? (laughs) Or not. You don't have to have like formal training. But anyone want to read this one for us? I don't want to. 44, the longest one. I take that as a yes, you'll do it. I'll bring the mic to you. The whole thing. Okay, Psalm 44. Is it on now? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Psalm 44. God, with our own ears, we have heard. Our fathers recounted to us a deed that you did in their days, in days of your. You, your hand, dispossessed nations, and you planted them. You smashed peoples and sent them away. For not by their sword they took hold of the land. And it was not their arm that made them victorious, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face when you favored them. You are my God, O God, or you are my king, O God, ordain the victories of Jacob. Through you we gore our foes. Through your name we trample those against us. For not in my bow do I trust, and my sword will not make me victorious. You rescued us from our foes, and our enemies you put to shame. God, we praise you all day long, and your name we acclaim for all time. Yet you neglected and disgraced us, and did not sally forth in our ranks. You turned us back from the foe, and our enemies took their plunder. You made us like sheep to be eaten, and scattered us through the nations." You sold your people for no wealth and set no high price upon them. You made us a shame to our neighbors, derision and mockery to those around us. You made us a byword to the nations, an object of scorn among peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face from the sound of revilers and cursers, from the enemy and the avenger. All of this befell us, yet we did not forget you. We did not betray your pact. Our heart has not failed, nor have our footsteps strayed from your path. 
Though you thrust us down to the seas, uh, to the sea monsters' uh, place, and with death's uh, darkness covered over us, had we forgotten the name of God and spread out our palms to an alien god, would not God have fathomed it? For He knows the heart's uh, secrets. For Your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Awake, why sleep, O monster? Rouse up, neglect, not forever. Why do you hide your face? Forget our affliction or our oppression. For our neck is bowed to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise as a help to us and redeem us for the sake of your kindness. Thanks. Okay, uh, so this is not really a psalm that pulls you out of despair. Uh, this is a lament psalm through and through. Let me see where I am. So um, we're going to dissect this pretty well, so bear with me. But as I read this, so I was reading through a bunch of different lament psalms trying to find ones to talk about, right? And <clears throat> this one, when I got to 10, I was just reading it like the rest, reading the words, and then I got to that, that verse 10 and that yet that word yet there it never, I don't know, that, that hit me. Um, but we'll get to that in a second. So starting at the top, we'll just kind of go almost line by line through this. But in verse 2, you know, this is kind of the preface for it. God, with our own ears, we have heard our fathers recounted to us a deed that you did in their days, in days of yore. So it's setting this up as saying that we, because this is more of a communal psalm, we, us, our, as opposed to a personal one, we don't have any personal experience of your power, God. Our forefathers have told us of what you've done for for them, but we haven't seen it in our days. This has happened, your, your power, your action in our lives has happened in the days of yore, long time ago. And then three, you, your hand, dispossessed nations and you planted them. You smashed peoples and sent them away. So not only... Um, do they recognize the actions that God did in the past? They still attribute them to God. And I was thinking about this with generational changes. It's one thing to attribute something that happened in your life to God. It's another thing for further generations to continue to attribute that to God. I see a lot of subsequent generations being more skeptical of the actions of the past. They maybe write it off as, well, no, really... Your army was better provisioned. You had better training than your enemies. So I'm going to say that wasn't God. That was actually something you guys did. So here they're saying, you did things a long time ago, and we still attribute that to you now. And then in four, for not by their sword. Actually, that's what I was talking about four already. Uh, for not by their sword they took hold of the land, and it was not their arm that made them victorious, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face when you favored them. Uh, so then they keep attributing actions to God. And let's jump down to 9. God, we praise all day long, and your name we acclaim for all time. So, why are they praising it? They're, they're not praising because of what God is currently doing for them, or what they think he'll do for them in the future. They're praising God for what he's done in the past simply because of what you have done. So up until this point, it's all been past tense, right? 
So it's this idea of we will praise you uh, regardless of our circumstances. Our praise of you, God, is not contingent upon you acting in our life right now. Obviously, they're pleading for action, but their, their praise is not contingent upon that. There's no, if you pull me out of this, God, then I will do this for you. I think we see that a lot uh, represented uh, today of, God, if you'll just help me win this or get out of this or get through this, then I will dedicate my life to you. It's like, you've done great things in the past, therefore I dedicate my life to you. Now please help me. So it's kind of a different, different script, different language. Um, then 10, that word yet. God, we praise you all day long, and your name we acclaim for all time. Yet you neglected and disgraced us and did not sally forth in our ranks. Um, yeah, so when I read that first, it was, you're reading all these great things God has done, and then just, bam, yet you neglect us. Currently, that's kind of the, the mindset of the psalmist. You've done these great things, and now you just kind of ignore us. Not only that, you disgrace us. And we, then we go into some very specific complaints. Uh, you turned us back from the foe and our enemies took their plunder. You made us like sheep to be eaten and scattered us through the nations. I can't remember if there was a, a sermon we heard about someone who became a sheep farmer or if they wrote a book and Katie told me about it. But this person decided to leave the city life and start a farm and raise sheep. And all these images of sheep and analogies of sheep in the Bible took a very different meaning. Sheep don't exist in solitude, right? They're always a flock. As soon as you've lost one sheep, you might as well count it dead unless you physically go out and find it and drag it back to the flock. So this imagery is, is on purpose. Like sheep to be eaten, you scattered us through the nations. Because you've scattered us, we will be eaten like sheep. Um, then 13, you sold your people for no wealth and set no high price upon them. It's this idea of not only were they sold as slaves, but that they commanded no high price. They were no better than animals. 14, you made us ashamed to our neighbors, derision and mockery to those around us. Again, the imagery is powerful, right? It's, not, it's one thing to be shamed by your enemies. It's another thing, think about where you live now and the people that live around you. For you to be a subject of shame within your neighborhood, amongst your neighbors, is a much different, different thing than people you don't know. Lumping you into some category and shaming that category. They're shaming, God has made us ashamed to our neighbors. Not only to the neighbors, but then in 15, you made us a byword to nations and objects of scorn among peoples. This is saying the world over. Not only are we shamed in our neighborhoods, but the world over, we are just an object of scorn. So this guy just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper. Then we get to 18. All this befell us, yet we did not forget you, and we did not betray your pact. It's almost as if he's saying, it's almost as if he's implying that God has forgotten them and betrayed their pact. You've done all this to us, God. You have made all this bad stuff happen to us. We didn't forget you. We didn't betray the pact. 
He didn't say it outright, but that's kind of how I read it. Um, is, is attributing a betrayal to God, almost. 1920, our heart has not failed, nor have our footsteps strayed from your path. So it starts to get a little more positive. And then he just goes in and says, though you thrust us down to the sea monster's place. It's like he can't get over all the stuff God has made happen to him. Uh, And with death's darkness covered us over. Uh, You'll see as you're reading through the Psalms that the sea, depending on the translation, sea or sea monsters comes up a lot. I'm not a theologian, so I don't know all the backstory here, but it seems like this is more of a cultural reference to maybe some of the beliefs of like the Canaanites or some other culture at the time. So while this imagery may not mean a whole lot to us or speak, speak too much to us right now, it may have in the time. So 1920, it's, it's like he's turning around and then he just goes right back to uh, complaining again. And we get to um, 23. For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for slaughter. This is a much uh, less veiled metaphor, um, much more harsh. And I think this one has been used to point this psalm to be reflective of a current you know, battle or something that's going on in, in the nation where they are actively being killed. It's one thing to say in uh, 12, you made us like sheep to be eaten. It's another thing in 24, or sorry, 23 to say we are killed all day long. That doesn't sound like a metaphor to me. And then, um, you know, the, the plea really happens in 24. Awake, why sleep, O master? Rouse up, neglect not forever. Why do you hide your face? Forget our affliction, our oppression. For our neck is bowed to the dust, our bellies cling to the ground. Well, 26, what puts someone in a position like that? This isn't, I don't see this as just an image of, oh God, I, I'm, I'm praying, I'm begging, I'm pleading. This is no longer a simple plea. Um, for someone to be in a position like that, of their neck bowed to the dust, their belly clinging to the ground, to the psalmist writing this, there is, and you know, again, this is a communal one that was sung by the Hebrews. Um, this is not simply an ask of God, this is an all-out plea. There is no other way for them to get out of their situation other than for God to pull them out of it. They can't just pray to God and then bootstrap themselves and get themselves to a happy place. It's like they're recognizing their position and saying, this is the only way for us to be saved, God, is from you. And that's it. Um, Rise as a help to us and redeem us for the sake of your kindness. Any uh, any thoughts? <laughs> that was a that was a hard one to keep reading over and over and over again. Chuck, this uh, kind of reminds me of uh, of some thoughts I've had before regarding the difference between humility and humiliation. That God will humiliate His people individually and collectively. Best to uh, to initiate an attitude of humility. 
Yeah. And um, usually it's a me rather than an the audience. But, yeah. uh, at any rate, many times I, I find that it boils down to uh, a matter of reminding myself of the necessity of being humble before God to take the uh, initiative to humiliate. R- reading through these, and again, it's, it's an ancient perspective of God, but it's the uh, lessons there for sure in. You know, we call God Father, right? But we don't always attribute discipline to God. Um, it seems like in the Old Testament, they're much more willing to attribute uh, discipline or um, not not hostility, but you know that those that can't think of the words. But I mean, now that I'm a dad, it's a, now that I'm a dad, it's a totally different perspective, right? You, and we talked about it a little bit yesterday. God, why do you do these things to me? Well, it's because I love you. You can't just always you can't just be your kid's best friend all the time. Um, there's an element of discipline and and difficult conversations sometimes, right? Uh, many of you have have seen much more of fatherhood than I have. I've only seen five years, um, but yeah, God here he, he's still the father, but. It's almost like a, it's almost like we've made him a different type of father figure these days um, to make him more kind and generous, and we attribute negative things external from God. It's like, well, maybe God is trying to humble us. We try to humanize God. God has a different perspective of us, and he he doesn't, what did you say, he doesn't put us in a mold, but he or molds us? John. Yeah, we won't spend 70 days down here in the depths. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> we'll, we'll get out of it and look at something a little brighter. Um, but yeah, uh, human condition. The fact that God never says life is going to be perfect while you're here on earth. Uh, one more comment, Kathy? As you were 
Yeah, the <clears throat> that sense of being alone, uh, it's it can be debilitating, but it's rarely true. Um, especially in a, in a in a church like this one, right? Uh, it, it takes it takes effort to kind of to see that. Um, I think we've got a great group of elders that that go out of their way to make that known. Um, but at the same time, you know, once once you drop your barrier, it's like, man, everyone else is willing to too. So it's it's really tough to to make that happen. Um, and that's why some of these communal psalms are so powerful. I think because it's it is a collective acknowledgement of. Um, we're in this together. And, yeah, with the disciples and with Jesus, you know, uh, they had the knowledge of the Psalms, right? They knew these things front and back. If they didn't have them all memorized, they certainly had them available. I'm, I, I imagine most of them did have them memorized from their education. Um, but it's when there's a, when there's a change, a, a change in your life, maybe something big happens, it's important to revisit Psalms, because you'll hear a different message. It's one thing to have it memorized. It's another thing to revisit it when you need it, um, or without even knowing that you needed that one. So that, that memorization of having something to call upon uh, right when you need it versus that habit of going to the Psalms whenever there's a major life change and being like, okay, let me, let me just look through this again and see what stands out this time. Um, and Real quick. <laughs> separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as this is written, for your name we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here he takes a psalm all about mm-hmm. lament and sorrowful and really turns it into something strength that we can lean on today. Yeah. Brad, you taking notes? That was Paul using the psalms in Romans. <laughs> all right. Um, let's, we don't have a whole lot of time left, so let's read 44, and we'll run through that really quick. Nathan, uh, if you could get the mic to Nathan. He's going to read that one for us. And we'll read, uh, sorry, not 44, 130. Uh, We're going to read the ESV version of this one on the right side of the page. This is Psalm 130 from the ESV. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. 
Thank you. Um, all right, so this one's kind of a mix of a lament and a little bit of penitential, uh, kind of acknowledging that we make mistakes, we have iniquities, um, and just a few editorial things real quick. Uh, those aren't typos going from Lord, all caps, Lord, lowercase in some places. Uh, when you see that, uh, some of you already know this, but Lord, all caps, uh, is essentially the name of God, referring to God himself. Lord, lower caps, is a title, generic title, like king or master or lord. Um, they're still talking about God, but referring to his title instead of his name. Um, so that was just a boring little side note. I wanted to look at uh, altar real quick, just first six. When I first read uh, th- this in the ESV, I got hung up on six because I was like, they're just repeating themselves. What's was that a typo? So then I had to look up another copy to make sure it wasn't a typo. But in 6, he says, uh, well, we'll start at 5. I hoped for the Lord. This is the altar side. I hoped for the Lord. My being hoped. And for his word, I waited. My being for the master. More than the dawn watchers watch for the dawn. So it still had that repetitive nature, that repeat. But it's, it said something different to me but that imagery of a, of, of a watcher waiting for the, the dawn to come, that idea of being in battle and you've made it through one more night. Because in the daytime, you can kind of relax. You're, you're, set, you're safe. You made it. Your watch is over. But waiting for the Lord more than the dawn watchers watch for the dawn, I thought was really powerful. Uh, there's a lot of double, double emphasis throughout this one. In two, hear my voice, let your ears be attentive. Five, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And it's kind of this progressive, this building. Um, And you'll see this a lot. We talked about that last week. And then six, of course, more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. Uh, It took me a few few reads through this to notice, but there's a change in audience throughout. So one through four, who's, who's the psalmist addressing? talking directly to God, right? Uh, seven through eight is obvious. Oh, Israel, hope for the Lord. So he's addressing the nation. And then five and six, I was like, well, that doesn't seem to fit either one of them. And, it, and it, I think he's talking to himself. So we've got here he's addressing God. Here he's talking to himself. Here he's addressing the nation. And why? You know, we, I mentioned that last week. When you see quotes... Think of the audience. Who's talking? Who's listening? And think about why. So, uh, addressing God directly, talking to self, addressing the whole nation. It's almost, you know, in in this one, there is no resolution from God presented in the text, right? No external resolution of the cry out to him for rescue. Out of the depths, right? Out of, this image is used a lot. Uh, We may not relate to it a whole lot, but Again, it goes back to the sea almost. The depths is often referred to as the depths of the sea being covered over, uh, the grave, whatever it is. So, so that's the state that we start out in, and then we end in, he will redeem Israel from all of its iniquities. So on a positive note, but still God hasn't actively done anything that the psalmist presents. But then I was thinking about this narrative change, and it was like, well, it's almost as if we see the psalmist's heart changing before us. Um, and, I, you know, we kind of get caught up looking for the external things that God might have done, and we ignore 
the internal changes. And it's like as he's, and I think this, there's power in saying these things out loud, especially a psalm like this. I think you'll feel a change sometimes from where you're at. But asking God for everything and then saying, I will wait. My soul waits and I hope in his word. I will wait uh, more than the dawn watchers watch for the dawn. And then he's kind of, you know, God's kind of shaped him internally to now have a bit more power to get outside himself or a bit more strength to get outside himself and address the nation. And he was hopeless. He kind of got a little hope there in the middle, and now he's building up other people. He's, he's trying to bring other people along with him. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For the Lord is there. Uh, for the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all iniquities. Uh, one other piece here, you know, the word fear shows up a lot. Um, I've, I've never really understood that very well. Uh, why should we fear God? And I don't know the Hebrew word, but it has to do with uh, not being afraid of God. Um, not, it's not meaning sheer terror, but instead it's, it's kind of that response of awe to a deity who is both all-powerful and compassionately forgiving. So I'm, uh, the image that came to my mind was a peasant approaching the throne of a king in his dire moments asking for the king to do something. It's recognizing the God, that the king is powerful to, to do something and also expecting that the king will be compassionate on him. So that's kind of this idea of fear. It's not um, God will forgive you so that you fear him. It's, it's reinforcing that, that, that forgiveness is reinforcing that idea of an all-powerful, compassionately forgiving God. Um, so we have hit our limit. Any quick comments before we dismiss? And I'll jump to Nathan. Well said. Yeah, this one, uh, if, if for no other reason to memorize this one than to uh, drive down the highway with your windows down and just yell it <laughs> with enough sound that you can't hear yourself. Um, anyway, that's all we've got for this week. Next week will probably be like Thanksgiving or something, so a break from all this uh, out of the depths. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks.